Judges chapter 3, the very last verse of Judges chapter 3. The very last verse of Judges chapter 3. Okay. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you for this time. I just pray in Jesus' name that... um, I just pray in Jesus' name for you to fill this time with the Holy Spirit, Lord, and and just work in our hearts. And, Lord, that we would work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, Lord. We don't just want to come here and just hear a Bible study. We want to... We want to change. We don't want to just grow in knowledge and then be like the Laodiceans that you just want to spit us out of your mouth because we're lukewarm, filled with the knowledge of God, but not adorning the the bride of Christ, the church, with our lives. And we know, Lord, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to Revelation 22, I don't remember what the last verse is, but it's all about... Lord, you preparing a church for your bride. Lord, and and we want to be a bride that um, really blesses you. Lord, so that when we're carried, when we're taken up, Lord, it will be with just great joy having waited upon you with faith. That's what we want, Lord. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, um, Judges chapter 3, verse 31. So, last week we uh, really went over the first two judges, and the fr- some people say the first judge was was actually Moses, and the second judge was Joshua. But um, I'm just going to stick with a more traditional um, approach that the first judge was Othniel. The, um, the 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 first judge was Othniel. The second was um, Ehud, and we saw that high high drama of Ehud going in t- uh, going to the king that was. Um, oppressing uh, the Israelites, and he is this left-handed man, and he plunges a sword into the man who's a very fat man and um, um, kills him, the king that was oppressing him, the king whose name was, uh, had this uh, super long name, which meant uh, double darkness wickedness, uh, Kushan Rashatheim, double darkness wickedness, and um, we saw um, Ehud uh, put him uh, to death, um, and uh, then, in, uh, uh, then the, the, he, he calls out the, the Israelites um, to uh, attack the Moabites uh, who had been oppressing uh, the Israelites. And it says at the end of verse 30, and the land had rest for 80 years. And then it says in verse 31, it says, and after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, 
who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Now, more on this later, but um, it's interesting. There's a, reason, there's a reason it says there that he killed him with an ox goad. And the reason was is that because the, they were so impoverished, um, the Israelites, um, at the time that because of their sin, because of their rebellion and, and this type of thing, uh, they didn't even have weapons. And, and uh, they, couldn't aff- they couldn't afford them. They didn't have them. And um, so he uh, used an ox goad, uh, which was like a, one of the bones in, in an ox. And it says he killed 600 uh, men. And, and, you know, you could do a whole sermon um, about this. Uh, all, the, all the Lord needs is, is your availability and your willingness to do a work for him. That's, that's, all, that's all the Lord needs. He, he doesn't need the most gifted speaker. He doesn't need the most gifted singers. He doesn't need the most, um, the most intelligent people. Uh, the, the, the 12 apostles, it, it appears that most of them were illiterate, uh, and they were fishermen, and, and they were such a motley cl- a crew that in, act, in the book of Acts, um, they, that the, the chief rulers who um, were, I think that the, they were bringing the apostle Peter and John before them, it, it, it says the rulers, the chief rulers of Israel saw the apostles, knew that they were uneducated men, and they knew that they had been with Jesus. And, and the whole idea was that's what empowered them. And uh, this guy, all he needed was an ox goad. And uh, he, he, uh, it, it says um, that he had an ox goad. It doesn't appear that he was uh, a military man. Uh, he was just someone who was willing uh, to, uh, to step up to the plate and be used uh, by the Lord. Now, we're going to see that big time in Judges chapter uh, 6, uh, the principle of Gideon, um, where just 150 men defeat hundreds of thousands of Midianites. But, but um, more on that later. But let's get into chapter 4, verse 1, because there's, a, there's something about Shamgar that's a little unusual, and I hope it stands out. Chapter 4, Verse 1 says, when Ahu was dead, the children of Israel uh, uh, again did evil in the sight um, of the Lord. So is that a, something seems strange about that? Anyone? You want to yell it out? What's strange about it, Eddie? It says, when Ahu was dead. Exactly. All right, Eddie. And he didn't read my notes because I don't have any. I don't think I have any. Oh, yeah, here are my notes. But he didn't read my notes. I know he did. Why doesn't it say after Shamgar died? And, and, and you know what we do on, on, on Tuesday nights? We really want to go deeper. And it's just my strong, strong desire that when you guys read the Word of God, you don't say, hmm, wonder why that's there. Who cares? And you just keep on reading. That, that's, not, that, that, that's not healthy. Why was it? Why doesn't it say after uh, Shamgar died? Um, when... Uh, Shamgar was the last judge. Ehud, um, according to the order, it appears at least that Ehud was before Shamgar. Well, there are at least two possible explanations. One explanation is perhaps Shamgar was a judge. um, uh, One explanation is that 
when Ehud died, the children of Israel just did evil in the sight of the Lord in spite of the fact that Shamgar had been risen up as a judge. It's, it's, and they didn't stop their sin until Deborah comes in. Yes, we're talking about Deborah. She is one awesome woman. We're talking about Deborah tonight. Deborah the prophetess. It's possible that they just, just, just after Ehud died, um, they're like, they just went into sin. And uh, Shamgar was risen up for eight years, it says in verse 31 of chapter 3. And they kept on sinning anyway. That's possible. But I don't think that's the right answer. I believe the right answer is, can be found in Judges chapter 5, verse 6. Can you go there for me? Or, yes, go there with me. Uh, it says in Judges chapter 5, verse 6, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Who? What's all that about? Now, why do, wh what's unusual about that? Someone yell that out. Eddie, Eddie you, can't, you can't answer. What jumps out about that verse? Okay, that's good. That's not what I'm looking for, but th good. Uh, that, that's true. But there's another name in there. When did she live? In the days of, say it. No. No, in the days of Deborah. It says in the days of Deborah. Je well, we're going to read all about Jael in chapter in chapter 4. We're going to read about Jael. Um, and uh, it, 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 she's the one with the tent peg who's going to kill the general who has been oppressing Israel, where Deborah and um, Barak, more on him later, um, go and defeat the enemies. So it appears that Shamgar was a judge during the time of Deborah. That's what I think the right answer is. Because it says, in the days of Shamgar and in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. It, it appears there that 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 is the reason that in chapter 4, verse 1, it says when Ehud was dead. And that after that Deborah and Shamgar were serving simultaneously, but Shamgar was more of a local type of thing. Because it says in verse 31, he defeated the Philistines. That's just in a very, that's a very um, small area of, is of Israel, uh, in the area of, uh, uh, of the Gaza uh, strip called Gaza then, it's called it today. And so it appears, and we don't know, that Shamgar and Deborah were ruling at the same time, but Shamgar was just localized to that one area. But the answer could be that after Ehud died, the children of Israel sinned and did evil, and they never changed while Shamgar was there. It could be um, either one. But what's important is that you study the Word of God and don't just shrug your shoulders. Okay. 
So anyone else really like that kind of discussion, or did I just bore you? I know my wife likes these, but that's <laughs> part of what motivates me. My wife wa- likes something, I want to do it, because she, she loves that stuff. But, but it, it is important. But, but again, so Ehud uh, dies. Again, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and I'm sorry, I just got to, I, I know we've only done one verse, but I, I got I to gotta say this. You should never give any person on the, in the face of the earth, in the body of Christ, the place that the children of Israel were giving Ehud. And the, chil- the, and the place that the children of Israel gave many judges. Because when the judge died, what happened? They went into rebellion. You should never give any human being, man or woman, that kind of place. Because you're replacing them with who? Say it. One loud. Very loud. You're replacing them with who? Who? God. Jesus. That's who you're replacing them with. You're replacing them with Jesus. From time to time, there is a scandal that just rocks the body of Christ. And it's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's, it's just awful. Um, I, you, believe it or not, I had never known a pastor personally who fell into sin until, and I've been a Christian 30 years ago, until about six years ago. Uh, so I was a Christian almost 25 years. That's how faithful the pastors um, that I have known, and I've met hundreds of them, have been. But, but um, about five years ago, Bob Coy at, at Calvary Chapel of Fort Lauderdale, um, he, you know, he, he fell, they just all kinds of revelations about him. He fell into adultery. And um, I had known him. I had been on a board of a church with him, uh, and, and um, it was—it just—it it, just—it it rocked. Thank God, I was 25 years into the into the Lord. But what 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 really affected me when I heard about it is, oh God, please no. That just the 20% of people in that church who were just looking at at, at a man rather than Jesus. Because inevitably, what happens um, when there is something like this happens, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's um, a, a mother or a biological father who has walked with the Lord for many years, whoever, they, they fall into sin, and it's like, oh, wow. And then, and then the person goes into sin who, who, had see, who, who saw this, this, this man of God, this woman of God. And then two years later, another... Calvary Chapel pastor, who was very well known. Uh, his name was Bob Caldwell from Boise, Idaho. And uh, uh, him, unlike Bob Coy, I knew Bob Caldwell personally. And I can say a week never goes by that I don't think of something that Bob Caldwell told me to that, that, that just taught me about parenting, that taught me about grace. This guy was one holy dude. I mean, he would go into the woods to pray for days. I mean, I was stunned. But you know something? He's not Jesus. So please, you know, don't be looking at a human being and, 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 th- and that it, rather than the Lord Jesus. Because you know, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to go off and do something stupid. But if it did happen... I wouldn't want a single person in this room or in this church or anyone listening to this message being affected at all other than to be broken and pray and intercede. 
you know, for my family and the church and, and this type of thing. Don't let a human being take the place of Jesus Christ. How many, pe- how many times have you been talking with someone uh, somewhere and, you know, hey, are two, uh, the two questions that we ask uh, in evangelism training. Have you come to the place in your life where you know for certain you're going to heaven? And, and they know you're talking about, all of a sudden they, they know you're talking about God. Oh, yeah, I used to go to church. I don't anymore. They're all hypocrites. What have they done? They have replaced Jesus Christ with human beings. Don't do that. It's one of the message from the book of Judges. When Ehud was dead, verse 1, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were looking at him rather than God. So the Lord, verse 2, sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwell in Harasheth Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. For Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now again, I mentioned this last time, isn't it terrible that it says 20 years rather than 18 years, rather than 9 years, rather than 5 years or 6 months? And again, it just goes to show about the deceitfulness of sin. That, you know, even though your life has become a wreck because of your sin, somehow you're thinking, it ain't me. Or you're thinking, no, I'm going to, somehow things are going to turn around. No, they're not. If, if, if you leave this place and you go out into sin in the next uh, uh, two or three weeks or whatever, don't think that some, and, and, and things start getting miserable for you, don't they think they're going to turn around with you staying in sin. God loves you too much. He loves you too much. He'll send uh, He'll, he'll send, you know, a, an enemy king, just like he would send uh, to, to the children of Israel, because he loved them so much. But for tw- it took 20 years for them to turn back to God and start crying out and saying, hey, this is not worth it. And this guy had 900 chariots. Uh, can you imagine being a foot soldier and a horse and a chariot are coming towards you full speed? Uh, that, that's a big problem. Um, well, it's, uh, th- that's what they were facing. And so in the natural, they're thinking, there's no way out. I'm going to be in this place of bondage forever, and I'm never going to get out of it. And you know something? Almost every single Sunday, I'm in counseling with someone. I was last Sunday. With, 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 and they're, they're thinking they have 900 chariots in front of them, and there's no way out. Every single Sunday, every single week, someone is like that. Look at the book of Judges. (laughs) It's the same thing. Verse 4, now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And so Deborah was a prophetess and uh, just a extraordinary woman of God and says she was judging Israel at that time. Remember the word judge is different than the way that we look at it. The word judge um, means that we we think of a man or a woman in a row behind a a bench with a gavel 
uh, it was much, much more than that. Yes, they did go for that purpose, but more importantly, they were the, they, they were the leaders of the whole country. Deborah, a prophetess, was the judge in Israel. And she would sit, verse 5, under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. That's the song that we, that we uh, sang, the second song, Oh How We Love, Bethel. Uh, no, no, rather the first one, the hymn, uh, Near My God to Thee. is all about um, Jacob and Bethel. In the mountains of Ephraim, Ephraim, a, a tribe of, of Israel. And the children of Israel came to her for judgment. They came to this prophetess. Then she, Deborah, sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali. This is, by the way, this is the north of Israel. And said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitudes at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. Wow. (laughs) Couldn't you tell me maybe that uh, my family and I are going to go on a nice vacation on a Mediterranean beach? I I have to go up against 900 iron chariots? Yep. Barak. Verse 8, and Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barack Obama. I guess, named after, uh, after Barak. Now, some people look at uh, Barak here, this, this general, and they say, oh, this guy, I can't believe him. You know, look what he did. He, he couldn't go unless this, this woman was with him. I mean, what kind of sissy is this guy? What's the problem with saying that? Anyone want to shout it out? Shout it out. You, you see, here's a hint. I'm moving my Bible here to the New Testament. I'll give you another hint. I'm moving it to the book of Hebrews. Do you need another hint? <laughs> Any, you guys need another hint? You're kidding me. You need another hint? Okay, I'm going to Hebrews chapter 11. The, f- the, the hall of faith. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, Nicole. That was mean. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, which is a long list of men and women of God from the Old Testament who doesn't mention any of their shortcomings. All it mentions is these people are examples of great faith and without faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it is impossible to please God, and guess who is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. What more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak. 
he's right there. So uh, then it says, and Samson and Jephthah, we're going to get to them. And also David uh, and Samuel and other prophets. He's in the same verse in Hebrews chapter 11 as David is and Samuel. And so um, I think it should become, you know, obvious uh, to, to all of us why. It should be obvious why. Why is he in the Hall of Faith? The guy went up against 900 iron chariots. 900 iron chariots. And um, as I mentioned already, the, the nation's impoverished. Shamgar needs an ox goad to kill Philistines. And so um, he's in the he Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith, this guy Barak. And I, I feel like we have a lot to, uh, ha have a lot to learn for him, from him. Um, nevertheless, Deborah does say, well, I'll surely go with you. She doesn't want to go with him. Deborah does not want to go with Barak. She goes reluctantly. She says, okay, I'll go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. Um, you know, in the sense that uh, it's going to go to another. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, that woman's J.L., We've already mentioned her. We're going to see her again. She's going <laughs> to, one of the most dramatic scenes of the whole Bible is when Jael kills Sisera. But, you know, this, this does um, raise the issue um, once again of, uh, which is a fair issue uh, to make. Uh, Martha, where's Martha? I saw you walk in. She, Martha, there you are. Martha. Hola. I saw, we saw Samuel yesterday. Did he tell you? We saw him, your boy. Um, she asked a question at the last ministry meeting. Can a woman be a senior pastor? Uh, and the answer is, of course she can. And um, there's not a law against it. But is that, is that really God's best? And a lot of times, y you know, Deborah to me is the best example of this. She is a reluctant leader at this point she wants the man to go and so uh, while there's no law against a woman being a senior pastor a couple things and i think it's worthy of um you know worthy of taking time out because deborah's often mentioned you know in conversations about women senior pastors in ephesians chapter 5 as well as colossians 3 and first peter 3 maybe among other places it does say there that wives submit to your husbands. And it says that not at all because women are more spiritual than men. Oftentimes it's the very opposite is the case. It says that, in my opinion, for one reason. One, there's always order and hierarchy and everything. But more importantly, there is a type from the beginning of the Bible where... Um, where the marriage of a, a man and a woman, a husband and wife, is a type, meaning it teaches us about the relationship between God and Israel, God and the church, and God and you, Jesus Christ and you. And the, re the reason that the Lord has put this model up, husband, wife, wife submit to your husbands, love, uh, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands, is because 
when people look at your marriage when it's thriving, they want to say, wow, that, that's really, really attractive. That's r- the, 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 and, 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 and it's supposed to typify, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to attract people to the body of Christ. It's supposed to glorify the Lord. Back to the question of why, whether women should be senior pastors. Yeah, they could be, but why would you want to cha- put the family structure, turn it on its head, and then implement that government in the church? I'm not talking about outside the church. I'm not talking about, you know, you going, you, uh, you going uh, off into work. I work for a number of, uh, of, of ladies, and I big time submitted to them, uh, and they were fabulous. They were fabulous bosses, every one of them. I loved them. Uh, and, and, and they loved me. We had a great time. Uh, uh, and they got to, all of them got to know the family, Stephanie, and, and uh, I appreciated them. I'm just talking about the family structure and the church within the church as well. There should be this picture. The other thing, um, and I talked about this more when we, uh, uh, as well, I should say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it does say the leadership of the church. It mentions men as elders, and then deacons can, can, can be man, man or woman. But the other thing, and the thing that I spent most time on the ministry, at the ministry meeting, is why, did we, why would we really want that in today's society, which is crumbling, and all over around this church building? We minister, we minister to families where the men are completely absent, being kids being raised by women, why in the world would we want to give boys any other picture than, look, guys, you need to get off your butts and lead. That's what you need to do. Because let me tell you, ladies, when you tell men they don't have to lead, oh, baby, this is great. <laughs> They're gone. They're out of here. And we laugh, but there's a tragedy playing out in the very community this church is in right now. There's a tragedy playing out. Men are, have gone. Why? Because they're told, no, women can, they can lead the home. Yeah, they can lead the home, just like Deborah led the army. <laughs> they can. But is that really what you want? And, and, and so that's the, that's the Calvary Chapel position. And, and again, like I mentioned at the ministry meeting, you know, I fine doing things with churches who have senior pastors who are women and uh, you know, whatever, going to rallies with them and doing things in Boston and praying with them. But, but uh, that's how I read the Bible. And uh, we'll find out the whole story when we get, get into heaven. But I, I personally, I think it's, it's, it's clear to me that um, we need to encourage men to be leaders. Deborah, she, in terms of not her day-to-day judging of, of cases, but in terms of leading an army out, she was reluctant. She was a reluctant uh, um, leader at that point. She wanted Barak to go. So verse, um, uh, verse 10. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali. Again, this is in, in northern Israel to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Canaanite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites 
and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. Just um, brief, brief commentary on that verse. The Kenites. Anyone remember who was a Kenite? Uh, he was a Kenizzite. Who was a Kenite? Caleb was a Kenizzite. Well, oh, maybe. I don't think so. Uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a Kenite. And so what had happened with the Kenites um, was that they had more or less been absorbed into the nation of Israel with Judah. But here we have this guy um, named Heber who broke away from them, and he traveled way up north. And it says, verse 12, And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So they, there was a few of them, and not Heber, but there was a few of these Canaanites who, uh, they were traitors. I, I don't think there's any other way to say it other than that. They went to the enemy general and said, Hey, um, uh, uh, hey, the, the Barak and the, and the Israelites, they're mounting a battle against you, and they're, they're at Mount Tabor. Uh, and, and guess what? Just, just because you have a plan and something goes wrong, that's such a small thing for the Lord. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe Barak finds out that, that someone had ratted, it, ratted him out, like, hey, hey, Barak, guess what? You've been ratted out. The enemy general knows you're going to be there. I can imagine him being really worried. I can imagine me being real worried. But it's such a small thing for God. It's such a small thing for the Lord. Uh, and then it says uh, in verse 13, So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Herathish Hagoyim to the river Kishon. More on this river later. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? It's a wonderful thing about the Lord, by the way. He goes out before you. He goes out before you. It also says he's your rear guard. Um, Isaiah 52. He goes out before you. Among many other places. If the, the, when, when I was debating whether or not to... Um, to, to leave my part-time job and go full-time as a pa pastor, the Lord really spoke to me from Isaiah 52. And one of the parts of it was, he's going to be a rear guard and he's going to go before you. And he really, really did. The, for the Lord goes before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak, and Sisera alighted, meaning he jumped out of, his chariot and fled away on foot. Okay, so time out, pause. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> how did this happen? They, they were unarmed, and they defeated an army of 900 chariots. Now, I think most contemporary scholars agree that the reason they won this battle was because of a 
raging downpour that the that the that the Lord um, brought about on the field of battle, and guess what happens to chariots when they are trying to drive in mud? Anyone know? <laughs> they get stuck. Their wheels come off, and it explains why Sisera is jumping out of his chariot. Like, why in the world is this guy going to leave a chariot? Well, it's stuck in the mud. Now, why? Why do the scholars say that? Skip to the next page, Judges chapter 5, or the next chapter, rather, J Judges chapter 5. Um, it says there in verse 4 and 5. Now, this is the song of, of, of Deborah. It's kind of like the song of, of um, Moses. Uh, it says the song of, of Deborah and Barak. Uh, and it's a song that they wrote after their victory to praise God. You know, the Lord is always putting a new song in our heart. And it says in verse 4, note this. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. And then um, in the same place in verse 11, uh, skip down to verse 11, from the noise of the archers among the watering places. So what most scholars believe, and, and, I, and I, I certainly tend to, to believe it, is this is why Sisera is jumping out um, of his chariot, and this is why they were given a great victory, is because the, uh, of an enormous downpour that turned the whole field of battle into mud. You know, the Lord can, when you're entering a field of battle, he <laughs> out of nowhere, he can, he can change the field of battle, just from one day to the next. He can completely change the field of battle. Okay, so now it gets really interesting. But Barak, verse 16, pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harosheth, Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera, this is the evil general, had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. Anyone know a Jael? I think we know one. That's a great name, Jael. Although it's an interesting name to give a little girl. But, uh, it, it, it fell on, on, uh, on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. So the, again, here are the Kenites again. Remember, these are the descendants of Moses' father-in-law. They've been in, absorbed into Israel, even though some of them you know, ratted out uh, Barak. But it says, For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the house of Heber, the, the Kenite. So apparently Heber, he was a Kenite. He, he broke away. He moved to um, where the enemy lived, and he had brokered some kind of peace treaty with him. So there's real ambiguity of the relationship between these Kenites who had broken off away from their brethren and moved to the um, to to the northern part of Israel. But here Heber, uh, his wife Jael, verse 18, went out to meet Sisera, the evil general, and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me and do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. Now, uh, 
I do understand that um, milk, for those of you who are interested in this stuff, has small amounts of tryptophan. The raw material that the brain uses to build both serotonin and melatonin, these are compounds that help us relax and prepare for sleep. And so she gave him some milk. Um, I th there's there seems to be great skepticism whether it really works well uh, to, to help you go to bed, but there are those traces of those chemicals in milk. So she gives him milk and uh, covers him. Remember, it was we believe it was raining. He's cold. She and so he's covered. And verse 20 sa says, So the evil general Sisera said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here, you shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. So there's a courageous woman here. Now I understand that the Bedouins who live in that area to this day, that it's the ladies who set up the tents. When they, Bedouins are nomads, go from place to place. And it's the ladies who set up the tent. Apparently Jael was familiar with taking the, uh, a, a hammer and setting up these tents. She kills this general. She drives a tent peg uh, probably right through his temple, right? And, and kills him. Verse 22, and then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of, of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against the king, Jabin, king of, of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And so apparently it did take a little while after, but that gave them great confidence. They saw the hand of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing about walking with the Lord for a while. You see his faithfulness, and it just empowers you for the next time to walk in faith. Okay, chapter 5. I really want to try to do two whole chapters tonight. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, you know, there's the a reference throughout the Bible to this, this two words, new song. God gives his people a new song. And you know, if you're singing the same song that you sang 10 years ago, you may start to shrivel up. God gives a new song. A new thing he's doing in your life. A new work he's doing in your life. And uh, here they give, they're given a song. Verse 2, it's a song of praise and thanksgiving. I understand, by the way, that this, this poem is, I, I actually, I think I've read before that this and Job are the oldest, believed to be the oldest writings in the Bible. This and Job, the book of Job. Verse 2, when leaders led in Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves, bless the Lord. You guys know Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's an odd thing, blessing the Lord. I thought he blessed us. 
How does this verse say that you bless the Lord? Someone shout it out. Verse 3. Willingly offered themselves. When you do that, that blesses the Lord. Isn't that an incredible thought? That you can actually bless the, the heart of the living God? Verse 3. Hear, O O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the the field of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens poured, the clouds poured water, apparently talking right before the battle there. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This, This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. The travelers walked along the byway. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel. So crime had gotten so bad, and this is what sin always does, is when you throw the Bible out and say, we're, we're not going to follow the Bible anymore, we're just going to do whatever's right in our own eyes, crime increases dramatically. And it increased so dramatically, it says basically, it says, the, uh, what does it say there? The highways became deserted, verse 6. They became deserted. People were scared to travel because the crime. That's how. That's what sin does. That's where sin leads a nation. That's where sin leads a community. Verse seven: Village um, um, life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. So she's saying, "Look, I was a mother, and that was good for me, and that's certainly good enough for God." But, that, but in the eyes of the world, that's all I was. But guess what? God used me. He used me to free the nation of Israel. Isn't that great? So I, I was a mother in Israel. I was happy to be that. God was happy. But that's all I was. It was a big deal to God and me. But God wanted to use me in such a greater way. Verse 8, they chose new gods, there was war in the gates. So um, speaking of how the Israelites had rebelled after Ehud died. Not a shield or spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. So that, that's actually the verse there. An- another little piece of evidence that Shamgar was a contemporary of her. There was no iron weapons to go to war against with Shamgar, the Philistine, and with um, Barak and Deborah, the, uh, the Canaanites uh, in the north. Were they Canaanites? No, not the Canaanites. Where were they from? Where were they from? Ooh. Oh, yeah, they were the Canaanites uh, from the north. And, and it says in verse 9, My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. So again, how do you bless the Lord? You offer yourself willingly. Verse 10, speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attires, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers, among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Verse 12, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Awake, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Verse 13, then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for, for me against the mighty. Isn't that a great verse? The Lord came down for me 
against the mighty. Verse 14, then Ephraim were, from Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with, uh, with your peoples, from Maker, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who uh, bear the uh, recruiter staff. So in 14 and 15, no, rather 14 in, and the beginning of 15, this is, again, kind of like the Hall of Faith. This is the people who responded to the call to join the battle against the enemy. So we see Benjamin, we, Benjamin, we see um, Ephraim, we, we see um, at the end of verse 14, Zebulun, they came down. It says, and the princes of Isaacer, they, they were with Deborah, they came down. Um, as Isaacer was with Barak, they sent into the valley under his command. But then from the middle of verse 15 on, this is kind of the hall of shame. These are the people who did not come down. And they're actually called out here. By the way, this is one of the reasons I believe the Bible, there's many reasons I believe the Bible was written by God. But this is, this is the kind of thing, they're, they're going to name names here. And this stays in the Bible. It stays here. If this wasn't the Bible, someone would have convinced someone, hey, I really don't like you trashing my tribe here. Take it out. Didn't happen. They named names. It says, among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheep holes to hear the pipings for the flock? The divisions of Reuben had great searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Meaning, the Reubenites did not join the, um, did not join the battle. Even after, listen, it says there, even after it says at the end of verse 15, they thought a lot about it. They thought a lot about it and then they chickened out. It says they were great resolves of heart. Is that you? Have you thought a lot about something, some area of, uh, of obedience and said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it? It says also the people of, of, of Gilead um, stayed beyond the Jordan, beginning of verse 17. So that's the half-tribe of Manasseh, that's um, uh, Gad, and it's the Reubenites. Um, going on, it says, why did, the, why did Dan remain on the ships? Dan was, a, I guess, a coastal city at the time or a coastal tribe at the time. They were out in their ships. You know, there's always a million reasons not to obey the Lord. I'm out on a ship. I'm feeding the nation of Israel. I don't have to go in, you know, with my catch and feed them. Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by, by his inlet. So Deborah's just, Deborah and Barak, they're, they're, they're not pulling any punches. They are naming the disobedient people. Verse 18, it goes back to um, a tribe that risked their lives. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the, of the battlefield. And I'm not going to go into um, this um, a whole lot, but, uh, you know, I, 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 will, um, I will say this. That in Romans chapter 14, when it says, why do you show contempt for your brother? Why do you judge your brother? It says, because we all are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself 
to God. And then in 2 Corinthians, it, it, uh, verse 10, it says the same thing. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things and done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You know, this is a very, very difficult subject that commentators disagree greatly about. But what I read, when I read Romans chapter 14, it says that each of us shall give an account to, of himself to God. I'm going to have to explain for those times that I stayed back in battle and let the rest of the people of God do their thing. Now, I, I know that every single one of us in, their, the, in this room is, has sins and falls really short of, of, of the glory of God. But I, I, I think it's important that we have a fear of God, not only with sins of commission, meaning acts, murder, lying, cheating, but sins of omission. When God is telling you to share the Lord with someone and you don't, that's a sin. The book of James says the same thing. When, you, when you've been told to do something but you don't do it, it's a sin. And look, I speak from my own heart. But that's the battle that we're in today. We're in a battle where the Lord's calling us out to be bold into a battlefield. And so he's naming, the, they're naming names here. It says, um, the kings came and fought them. The kings of came and fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their course fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. Now, verse 21, again, that's further evidence because Kishon, scholars have noted that this time it would be dry, but here it's spoken of as a torrent. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, on my soul, march on in strength. So again, further evidence that there was some kind of downpour. Then the horses' hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of steeds, cursed Moroz, said the angels of the Lord, cursed its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now, the Lord doesn't need our help, but he gives us the privilege of coming alongside of what he's doing. That's strong language there. Curse morose. They didn't come to the help of the Lord. Verse 24, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water. She gave her milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the... Ten peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera. So this is now talking about the evil general's mother. Hey, Eddie, can you come up and uh, take the place? We're about to, to pray. So the mother of the evil general, Sisera, this is again, this is a poem. It says, she looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, why is my son's chariot so long in coming? Why does he wait? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? And her wise ladies answered her, 
and basically they lie to her. They make up a lie. They say, yes, she answered herself, are they not finding and dividing the spoil? In other words, they're defeating Israel and they're defeating the spoil. To every man a girl or two, they're raping the, the girls of Israel. Uh, for Sisera, plunder of dyed garments. In other words, your, your son is getting uh, uh, dyed garments and he's uh, going to bring them back. A plunder of garments embroidered and dyed. Two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. So that this was the lie that, um, that she was believing. Of course, eventually um, she found out that her, her son was killed by a woman who drove a tent peg through his temple. Verse 31, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Is that an awesome verse or what? Let, let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. 